following is a Tony Lozano podcast and OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable. Thanks so much for uh, tuning into this episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. We've got uh, plenty of interesting things to talk about, as usual, on this podcast. And one thing I wanted to uh, just touch on very briefly, Lou, is a couple of episodes ago we were talking about... uh, paintless dent repair which is uh just completed on my uh, 75 firebird and when we were um done recording that episode you uh said hey have you ever really had any experience with paintless dent repair and i said no i'm really looking forward to it and you jumped in and said yeah i've i've had experience can you just tell briefly what they did to your car and how pleased you were with the results sure well dentless Automotive paint is usually those car dings you'll have in your doors and things like that. I had a unique one on my hood of my car. Someone must have slammed the hood down like, I don't know, if they had a wrench under the hood or something. So it was actually an inverted dent. It was actually dented Sticking like, a little, up. Yeah, like a little teepee or something <laughs> like that. And the guys who are really good at this dentless paint repair are nothing short of magicians and sculptors. They have some kind of, well, I'm not kidding you, they have some kind of mirrors that they're connecting to your car. And then they take this little hammer or something and start to hammer, which freaks you out when you see that. I actually had to walk into the other room. I said, I'm just going to let you do this. I'll come back when it was done. And I thought to myself, there's no way they're going to get some of these dents out. It was an aluminum body Jaguar and I thought, mm, I don't know, it should be soft enough metal, but I don't know. I came back, I was I was not worthy. These guys were fantastic. So I'm a big fan of the paintless dent repair. Yeah, it is. It's, it is something that's really uh, gained a lot of traction in the last uh, 15 years or so. And I'm looking forward to the results on my car. And it's good to know that you've had some direct experience with it and that you're pleased with the results too, because it is something that uh, can really make a big difference in the way uh, a car will look you know, when it's when it's completed. A couple of uh, cars that I've seen on the road uh, lately, uh, you can never go wrong with a red Porsche 356, beautiful little car. And a car that you don't see a lot of, and again, this is uh, one that you mainly are going to see in car magazines and maybe on television as a, as a audio or video review, but I have actually not seen only one. I've seen two recently, the new Bentley Bentagia, which is that uh, giant SUV that Bentley makes now? It's their best-selling vehicle. It's got it's basically very. It's built on a, one of the uh, Volkswagen Audi Porsche chassis. I think it's the large. Uh, it's either the Cayenne chassis or or like the Audi A7 chassis. But that's got the W12 in it, and it retails for something like two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. And I got to say, honestly, seeing it on the road, it just didn't really do that much for me. We talked a couple episodes ago when I saw the new Lamborghini Urus SUV, and that thing just looked amazing. And I saw I saw a black Bentley Bentagia, and I saw uh, one that was kind of a weird color combination. It was, I think it was gray, and then it had some like metallic red like two-toning on it and it might have been a bespoke thing because everything you buy at bentley these days you can get it done any way you want but i mean they're magnificent magnificent vehicles for what they are i mean the thing weighs like six thousand pounds it'll still do zero to 60 in like five seconds and a top speed of whatever very capable off-road but how many are going to 
even touch gravel, let alone, um, you know, do any serious off-roading. But it was interesting to see a couple of them on the road. And it's one of those things like, wow, I just saw one of those. And it costs 225000 Someone's just driving it with their kids in the back. Okay. <laughs> it's the, the way some people live, I guess. But have you seen anything new or exciting or new on, on any of the roads? Uh? Funny you should say that, Mark. <laughs> I, uh, a friend of mine, Randy, called me up and said, Lou, I just got my car back because he always has something unique. I said, well, what car is that? He says, a 65 Lamborghini 350 GT. Oh, that's beautiful. So I said to him, I said, uh, well, we got to take it out. He says, yes, of course. I said, and this was in Arizona. I said, uh, where are you at right now? He says, well, I'm thinking of maybe meeting you over at the Rock and Roll McDonald's. So I met him, and to the right hand, there was a 2013 Camaro. Then you have a concourse restoration 1965 Lamborghini. And to the left of him was like a 2007 chargers <laughs> challenger so uh I, it didn't look like it fit completely in there but he then said to me something that i wasn't re- ready for he says would you like to drive it i looked at him and i said well not everybody walk up to me with their 65 lamborghini and gives me the keys so i'm going to take advantage of this opportunity so we we took a little ride we uh, went to uh, a restaurant out there and brought it back. I parked it way in the corner so that no one would you know, bump up against it. And it was funny. The whole time he was next to me, he was taking notes. And I said, why are you taking notes? He says, well, I'm just figuring out what needs to still be worked on. I've only had this thing out two or three times. I said, you've only had it out two or three times and you let me drive it. That's, so, that's because if anything went wrong, he could blame it on you. Which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> One quick question on that car, because I've looked at uh, considered uh, mid to late 60s exotics like Maseratis and Lamborghinis. And when you look at them, obviously any 60s car, whether it's a European car or whatever, is not going to drive or perform like a modern car does. But how, I I don't know what the right word would be, how um, uninspiring maybe was that car? I mean, I know it makes beautiful sounds. It looks beautiful. But as far as just the actual driving experience, like the ride, the handling, I mean, does it compare even remotely to anything that you could drive today? Or does it feel like you're driving a 1965 Lamborghini? I mean, that's what I'm asking. And they have leaf springs in there. They don't have independent suspension. Right. Okay. So let, let's take one step back. So if you're driving a 1965 car, period, usually your hands on the wheel are two hands on the wheel and you're... Uh, I like to call it positioning the boat, Mm -hmm. meaning you're kind of going left and then you're kind of going right. Then you're kind of going left. So there's this back and forth kind of on the wheel thing that usually happening with the Lamborghini. I didn't have as much of that. Okay. So it was a little tighter in the suspension. And at the same time, I wasn't about to try to step on it to see what could be broken. Mm -hmm. So I was driving very, what I would call gingerly, especially whenever somebody hands me the keys to their car, I always go, what is what I like to call their pace. So I start slow. And if they tell me to go faster, then I'll respect their wishes, but I'm not trying to break any records or go to jail as a general rule. So, um, no, it it drove well. I think when you kind of take it all in, that's the first slash second year Lamborghini ever. So you're figuring Lamborghini is still trying to figure it out too. And at the same time, um, you're very aware of everybody around you because you're making sure that when they're potentially gawking that they don't run into exactly, you. So yeah. you're, you're looking. And at the same time, there's a lot of people who have no idea what it is as well as myself. I didn't have much knowledge of the car. So you're, um, 
it's an interesting position to be in. You're driving it to enjoy it, and you're and you're not driving it enough to get comfortable with it to say, oh, it's like driving my regular car. So um, it drove well. We were, we were on the highway. It uh, tracked well. I, I didn't try to do anything phenomenal. I wasn't trying to get to 120 or anything like that. How were the brakes? Brakes were good. I mean, you know, disc brakes. So it was it was uh, responsive. Uh, cornering seemed to be okay. It's 1965. It's not like I'm cornering in a new Corvette or something like that, which is like riding on rails uh, or a new McLaren. But uh, yeah, it was it was enjoyable. I think you know when you're driving a 65 Lamborghini that you're you're going to just enjoy the ride. Your exactly. Men- your, yeah. me- your mentality is. I'm going to sit back and kind of uh, almost like a fine wine. You're not trying to chug it. You're just trying to sip it. You're soaking in the ambiance of the what I'm doing. full soaking Italian ambience. leather. And, <laughs> full, That's it. Exactly. Full Italian leather interior and the beautiful uh, sounds from underneath the hood. But I've always been curious about that because I have looked at those cars and you know they're, they're not cheap. And I just wouldn't want to drop 150 large on something and then go, this doesn't drive any better than my whatever, you know, from 1980. So, but I'm sure it was a gorgeous car, though. And um, is little, that it's a little bit more than that 150? Well, yeah, I, well, that one definitely. <laughs> I, I'm talking about some of yeah. the Maseratis I've looked at, yeah, are yeah, 150 range. But no, yeah. those go for about 400,000, I think, right now, if I'm correct in my more. You, you think more? Uh, yeah, really. It's probably close to a million. No. Yeah. Hmm. We'll have to look into that. Yeah, nine thirty-five was the last R. Really? So, yeah. Okay, then I'm maybe I'm not thinking of, the, of it being the model that I was thinking it was. But you said it was a three fifty-six. Just, just go to the. Yeah, it's a three fifty GT, and you could just uh, Grand Tour. You could just go to the YouTube channel, My Car Story with Lou, and punch in nineteen sixty-five Lamborghini. And okay, right there we there go. And Lou will put me in my place. <laughs> Thanks, Lou. <laughs> well, I mean. Uh, Let's go back a step. I didn't know what they cost, you know, but the nice thing is today you can Google something and find out, you know, there's all kinds of auction reports and things like that. Sure. I didn't know what it was. It was probably good. I didn't know the value of it when I was writing in it until later when exactly. I started doing the research. Yeah. Be sure to tell a friend about the Car Guys Report and Forum Automotive. That is the podcast you are listening to right now. It's available online at radiomisfits.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Car Guys Podcast, and you can also email us. We would love to uh, hear from you at uh, carguysreport at hotmail.com. This is the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon along with uh, Lou Costable, and I was asking uh, Lou uh, a question before we uh, started recording this episode. What language you took in high school, and you said you took Italian, which I didn't expect. Usually it's French or German or Spanish. And I was going to ask you how your French is. Oh, s'il vous plaît. Yeah. Very good. Very good. <laughs> your accent's actually pretty good. <laughs> um, and you've never owned a French car? Because I had asked you, I was going to ask you, deadpan, if you have ever owned a, a French vehicle. No Citroën. No, no Peugeot. <laughs> no. I have owned a uh, Renault Le Car, which we will talk about in a future episode. I've also owned a Peugeot 405, so I have some... Uh, definitely direct ownership experience with french cars and speaking of peugeot they are going to try to make a comeback to the u.s is that right that's going to be really interesting because i you know we waited forever for alfa romeo to come back we waited forever for fiat to come back fiat's not doing that great here in the states 
Alphas, yeah, kind of hanging on. I mean, they're great cars. They're very expensive, but they're still suffering from the perceptions that they suffered from 30, 40 years ago, just poor reliability and questionable build quality and things like that. So Beautiful, though. Beautiful. Beautiful cars. And Peugeots are, 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 are good cars. The nice thing about the French cars is they always had, and a Citroën obviously started it with the DS19 with the uh, hydro... Uh, hydrolotic or hydromatic suspension on it but uh, a car like a lacar didn't have a, a fancy suspension but it had torsion bars and it had a very pillowy soft ride my peugeot had a very good ride french cars are known for their ride they're built like crazy they're really rugged vehicles and my big question is who remembers peugeot here though i mean even you and me kind of barely remember Peugeot being in the U.S. because they pulled out, I think it was a 95 or thereabouts, right after the 405 was the last car they sold here. So that's like almost 25 years ago. But their heyday was probably in the 80s when they were making the 505 and the 505 wagon. People probably remember Peter uh, Falk in Colombo because he drove a Peugeot convertible. Um, But their game plan is that they want to try to, they're they're taking it slow. They said they want to try to uh, get back into the U.S. by the year 2026. So they have a a lot of time to uh, figure out their, their plan here. But they said that Americans and Canadians think of French autos for their quality, design, and innovation. And I would say that that is pretty correct. But I also think that a lot of Americans, if they even remember French cars in the U.S., probably think of, again, just weird reliability problems, uh, lousy dealer networks, no parts support, and a lot of the things that people just take for granted nowadays. So it'll be very interesting to see if uh, Peugeot is uh, successful in making a comeback to the U.S., but I wish them all the luck because it would be... I just think the more automotive marks and models and brands that we have being sold here in the U.S., all the power to us because I just think variety is is where it's at when it comes to, to cars. And technology continues its march forward, too. Uh, Chevy, and we were just talking about this, too, and this could be a whole other discussion for an episode, but every now and then we will talk about trucks here on the Car Guys Report because there's so much blending of what is really a car these days is an SUV, is a crossover a car. So many people buy pickup trucks, they consider them to be their car because it's their main transport. But uh, Chevrolet has just introduced a new 2.7 liter inline four that's turbocharged. And one interesting thing about that engine so far is the fact that it's a 2.7 liter, which is one of the larger four cylinders out there. The largest production four cylinder uh, in line four that I remember was the Porsche 968 back in the um, late 80s. It was a three liter in line four, which is a big engine because you have six cylinders that are three liters, you know, and you have six cylinders that are even 2.7 liters too. So it's a large engine. It's going into their uh, Silverado 1500 pickup. And it has one interesting um, feature on the engine that GM is called uh, active thermal management. And what it does is it pairs a variable speed electric water pump with the ability to direct coolant to the places where it's most beneficial. And what that means is uh, sometimes when you're uh, towing something, your car is going to, your engine is going to develop heat in different areas. And this allows it to kind of um, direct the cooling to where it's 
needed the most. They say the primary advantage is extremely rapid cabin warming, claiming three minutes until the HVA system uh, blows hot air and freezing weather, which is pretty darn quick, achieved by routing coolant from the turbo where it's going to be nice and hot directly to the heater core. And it uh, has five electrically actuated ball valves and arranged on a plenum to direct coolant to rapidly warm the engine oil and transmission fluid to operating temperatures. That's a mouthful, but we'll see how it works because it's all, you know, basically for fuel efficiency, but it says that it can also isolate the block and head for more uniform demand-based cooling, like when you're uh, towing something. So just another uh, march forward, more complication, more complexity in an engine but uh we'll see how that works because i think it would be nice to uh be able to get in your car and have um heat in three minutes when it's cold outside especially here in the midwest when we certainly get our cold weather what we like to do from time to time on the uh, car guys report informed automotive we like to see what is for sale in the wide world of cars i always like to look at bring a trailer to see what uh uh, cars have sold recently at auction. Also, our friends at Nicholas Mee, the uh, British Aston Martin specialist, as they call it. They are an Aston Martin dealer, and they always have some very interesting cars for sale. And this one, Lou, is I wanted to bring this to your attention. We keep This will be the third car we've talked about that they have for sale, and they keep going up in price. This is a 1961 Aston Martin DB4 GT, which is a gorgeous car uh, to begin with. And for a short period, they claim in 1962, Peter Sellers owned this car. And again, I know we talk about this a lot. This could be another topic for a future show. How much does celebrity provenance add to the car's value? They are asking 3 million pounds for this car, which translates to 3.92 million U.S. dollars. Wow. And it's a gorgeous car. It's only got 65,000 miles. It's British racing green with a black interior. But just because Peter Sellers owned it apparently for a number of months in 1962, they're putting on a pretty hefty premium on this car. So someone will buy it, I'm sure. It's a beautiful car. But they also had about a year ago, Nicholas Mee had Robert Plant's Aston Martin, and they were only asking a million for that. So this one is going for almost four times that amount. I'm, I'm sure the car is probably a little rare because it was a. This is an earlier model uh, DB4, but I think it'd be cooler to own Robert Plant's Aston Martin instead of um, uh, Peter Sellers because I don't know if you'd find like some jokes or something on a napkin underneath the uh the, the passenger seat versus the lyrics to stairway to heaven tucked, <laughs> tucked underneath the passenger seat or maybe mick jagger's phone number or something like that who knows but uh, if you like what we're talking about here on the car guys report informed automotive make sure you check out some of the other programs that are available on the radio misfits podcast network great uh, podcasts such as uh, if I can find my uh, information here, Lasano and Friends. There we go. It's our friend Tony Lasano. It's an OPI show. You can join Tony Lasano and his famous friends for a casual comedic conversation about everything. It's all part of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. RadioMisfits.com is where you'll find it all. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon, along with... Uh, Lou Costable, and this is a topic that I've been looking forward to uh, talking about for uh, a while because I read this a couple of months ago 
one of the car magazines that I subscribe to is a Hemmings Classic Car. And in every uh, issue, they have a section called Reminiscing where some of the readers will write in and talk about their experiences either working directly in the car industry or having something to do with automotive um, related topics in their job. And John Motroni of San Francisco uh, penned an article for the Reminiscing column about the time when he worked at radio station KFRC, the big 610 in San Francisco. And Lou, you know, obviously, you know, I have a broadcasting background and anytime you can blend uh, radio broadcasting and cars together, you've got a winning combination. And this is so cool because back in the day, I don't know if radio stations do it that much anymore, but I know the smaller stations used to. And back in the day, 45, 50 years ago, a lot of radio stations would do trade outs where they wouldn't necessarily have the money or the um, will to just go out and purchase something on outright. So they use the power of the station to trade advertising for that item. And what uh, KFRC did is they did a trade out to get a couple of Pontiac GTOs to be used as news-gathering cars for their news staff. And just the thought of news guys running around San Francisco during the, the late 60s and 1967 Pontiac GTOs gathering news just blows my mind because you would just never see that in today's. I mean, today, if, if a news station had a maybe a Camaro ZL1 or a... Or a a Dodge Hellcat. That would be pretty much the the equivalent in modern times. But they actually had a uh, an ad they took out promoting uh, news as fine art at KFRC, and it's got a picture of seven Natalie dressed uh, news gatherers, newsmen for the station, and they have KFRC news emblazoned on the hoods of these two Pontiac GTOs, and. Um, John Matroni goes on to say that each car had a two-way radio for broadcasting. A newscaster would record the event on a reel-to-reel tape recorder, then rush into the car to broadcast the description and the tape recording. And he says that it meant a lot of idling while he wrote the copy and then went on the air. And he said the GTOs didn't like idling for sometimes a half an hour or more. And he said the second problem was, as you can see in the ad here, was the paint scheme because you don't want to stand out while driving through the streets during a riot. (laughs) It's like, well, you're not going to stand out driving a GTO with big racing stripes. Of course you're going to stand out. He said, slapping the station call letters on the door panels may be a good idea to promote your presence, but it wasn't while navigating through National Guard troops, speeding over, uh, speeding by overtired police officers and interviewing some very angry citizens. And he said, uh, sometimes bottles, rocks, chairs, nuts, bolts, and on one notable occasion, a couple of small caliber rounds came our way. And this is all while they're in Pontiac GTOs gathering the news. It just it just blows me away. I mean, you can see the the picture here. It's so cool. And sadly, KFRC doesn't exist anymore as a as a radio station. Uh, they changed their format and they changed their call letters. So the the the, the good old days. They f- started in 1924 and they were known as KFRC up until uh, 2005. So they had a hell of a run. But it just I just think that is the coolest idea to gather news in these Pontiac GTOs. And they basically just, they wore them out because it was a lot of hard use, uh, you know, severe service type thing. So I don't think those cars are around anymore to find, but I just think it is just a, such a cool story and a time that, you know, you're just probably never going to see 
you know, in, in this day and age with uh, something like that. And he said, too, in a year or so, the GTOs are used up. So the station traded them in on a set of 1968 Plymouth Barracudas, which is actually equally cool. <laughs> and he said they were great cars, great cars, too, but they weren't the GTOs. But it was just I just never expected to find a story like that because it's just something that, you know, you had to be there, I guess, is the way to say it, to to really, um, uh, you know, enjoy uh, being being able to have done something like that in your career. Another thing I wanted to talk about quickly, uh, do you do any of your own car work on your own cars, Lou, or are you just strictly uh, – limited to oil changes or do you ever like rip into things i'm limited to oil changes and will occasionally decide to pull out a part uh, but not too often i don't do very much wrenching on my cars uh these days either but i have i've never done any hardcore stuff like i've never done engine rebuilds or anything like that but uh some of my earlier sobs 30 years ago i was doing clutch jobs and pulling the engines and things like that and any uh do or do it yourself or that's worth their um their weight would always have a trusty Haynes manual in their uh, garage or workshop because uh, Haynes was a company that developed a whole range of do-it-yourself manuals. They were pretty much the first people to uh, start these manuals in the mid-60s, and unfortunately, their founder, John Haynes, recently passed away. He uh, was 80 years old, and he just became uh, known as the, the guy that wrote all these manuals. How it started was... In 1966, he was uh, Haynes was actually uh, part of the British Royal Air Force. He was a Brit. And in 1966, a fellow serviceman asked for his help restoring an Austin Healey bug-eye Sprite. So uh, Haynes uh, took a 35-millimeter camera to document every step as he dismantled and reconfigured the Sprite's engine in his apartment. And one thing led to another, and he started publishing uh, these Haynes manuals. I've got one here for... Uh, for my Saab V4, this is an older one. This is a, a Haynes manual that probably has a, uh, uh, let me see, your copyright of 1975. So it's an older one. But they're very comprehensive. There's a lot of pictures of just showing what to do. There's a lot of nice exploded diagrams. And just here, uh, talking about, like, let's talk about the Ford carburetors here on page 57. It says, the carburetors fitted to the 1969 model onwards differ in detail from the Solex types previously fitted, although the operating principle is essentially similar. Only the main jet is removable and all other linkage adjustments are preset in production. A water-heated automatic choke is fitted. A modified type of carburetor is fitted where exhaust emission control equipment is installed. And that's just a, a sample of the kinds of... Um, detailed instructions you would have. I know that I've noticed in some of the later Haynes manuals, they're not quite as as uh, detailed as this. A lot of times they say uh, refitting is a reversal of removal, which means, which means that what you just did to take out the engine, you just reverse all that stuff to put it back in. So it's kind of a, a shortcut from that standpoint. But uh, John Haynes and his company have sold over 200 million Haynes manuals, according to the Haynes Publishing Group, PLC. And they also branched out into uh, far more um, do-it-yourself books uh, other than cars. They've covered motorcycles, bicycles, sex, and child rearing. So 
always kind of touching all bases there, I guess. Talented guy. Yes, exactly. You can uh, rate the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeart, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Just search for Radio Misfits, and uh, when you do subscribe, you will automatically be notified when there's a new episode of the Car Guys Report because it'll show up right on your mobile device. Remember, you can also email us, too. We'd love to hear from you at carguysreport at hotmail.com. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable, and one of the parts of the uh, podcast I always look forward to, Lou, is what is coming up on My Car Story with Lou, your YouTube channel. Well, we've got some fun ones. Um, This is caretakers are sharing their cars, and I video document that. So one of them was uh, Burt Reynolds' personally owned 79 Pontiac Trans Am. And that's a, a fun car just because Burt Reynolds and his Trans Am, so, a person so well connected to a particular brand of car. Uh, I was in California, so I did a, a Volkswagen VW bus. Now, I know some people could say that's not necessarily a car. I'd agree with that, but, oh, is it so cool. It's we really, had one. Is that right? Yeah, not a Samba, but we had a yeah. 74. This one's cool. So you can tell me if you think, give the thumbs up or the thumbs down, make your comment there. There was a 64 Ford Falcon Sprint convertible in blue that was restored all the way back to original. It really looked neat. Um, we had a 28, uh, 2008 Mustang Shelby GT Barrett Jackson edition. Um, I think they only made about 200 of those cars, so that was uh, uh, unique. And uh, then a car that I hadn't seen before, and I'm seeing a lot of other people who consider themselves car guys, a 1977 Maserati Kazman. If I'm saying it wrong, somebody will correct me. It's K-H-A-M-S-I-N. And uh, it looks a little bit like a Pantera, people have told me, but uh, really Really cool car. Cool. And, of course, uh, all the cars that you have on My Car Story with Lou are cool in uh, one way or another. And uh, I always marvel at the way that you're just able to come across these amazing vehicles because that's really, I think, what makes uh, your channel so unique and enjoyable is is the variety of what you have on there. Yep, thanks. Cool. On the next episode of the Car Guys Report, we've got some interesting things to talk about. As usual, we will discuss the most popular classic four-door sedans ever made. Uh, That is according to uh, a recent survey that was online, and it's just uh, somebody's opinions, perhaps, but uh, we'll discuss the pros and cons of that, as well as the Detroit Symphony makes their contribution to the new Lincoln Aviator SUV. That is an interesting story, and Lou just bought a a Lincoln SUV, so unfortunately I don't think he's got the Detroit Symphony contribution inside his car, but maybe it'll make him want to even upgrade again (laughs) with that. But... um, uh, I'm curious to hear that story it's, myself. It's going to be great. It's going to be great, as usual, here on the Car Guys Report. Thanks so much for um, tuning in and making the Car Guys Report uh, part of your day. Certainly do appreciate it. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opie is hippo, spelled backwards, O-P-P-I-H, shows.com. It's distributed by Ed Silha of the Radio Misfits. Podcast Network. The proceeding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at RadioMisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you.
This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. Let's see if your son is going to answer the phone this time. Yeah, you yeah, probably heard the phone ring. Look at he's still not doing. You, yeah, and you. And I, I yelled at him uh, for not picking up the phone. This is ridiculous. And he is once again not picking up the phone, the, okay. even though we're doing a podcast. This is All right. I, I assume yeah. you're going to. He's dis- fired. Disciplinary action. There will be action on this. All that and unlimited tangents on this week's Minutia Men. <laughs> Tony Lasano podcast and Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Radio Misfits. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, we'll review a recent poll covering the most popular or best four-door sedans ever made, plus musical enhancements to the new Lincoln Aviator. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Costable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, and Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs>